hello and welcome to a special edition episode of the Transfix Take podcast where we are performance driven. Now today's episode is a sustainable one where we have the honor of welcoming Tyler Cole to the show. Tyler is the host of the Net Zero Carbon podcast at Freight Waves and overall ESG extraordinaire. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Tyler. I'm very excited about today's conversation, but I think we need to do something a little bit important here and kind of set the stage for our audience as we really dive deep into the topic of sustainability and ESG. I'm going to hit you with this question. <laughs> do you think the supply chain is a sustainable industry? At scale, not as it's currently functioning i think we are making great great strides and we are in the early innings of an important change in mindset for the entire industry the industry is getting younger the industry is more tech savvy and everybody on the planet is more aware of the need to be sustainable climate change is doing its own marketing so we don't have to do it for it so we are beginning to understand our impacts and once we do that we'll start to make the changes necessary but i would say that we're we're not i mean we all know that we cannot continue to scale emissions produced by delivering goods the way we have. Um, and I think the forward trajectory, at least pre-COVID, was that we're just going to keep doing that. We're going to continue to hit quarterly growth numbers and we're going to expand into other markets. And, you know, e-commerce has been a, a great boon during COVID, but the trade-off was we've got a lot more freight moving on the roads and smaller parcels that are less emission friendly. Yeah. So I, I don't think it is, but I'm optimistic it can be. So let's get into that optimism, right? Because I, I think we're starting to hear more, especially of our shippers, talk about scope one, scope two, scope three, as they start to delve into their 2023 through 2025 strategies. And, and most are kind of already there. But can you break down what those three different scopes are, what can be expected, and then what are some timelines where supply chain professionals should take note of as they're planning ahead? Absolutely. And it's probably an important context to say, you know, scope one, two, and three covers any industry, any sector. When we're specifically here looking at where kind of freight and logistics fall into this, scope three is really important because that's a huge piece of most corporate's footprint. So from a shipper perspective or anyone's perspective, scope one would be your direct emissions from your own controlled operations. Scope two would be your indirect emissions from energy purchases. So think your electric bill, um, or if there's other energy, if you're buying natural gas, whatever that looks like. And scope three would be literally everything else, your entire supply chain emissions scope. And there is, 15 categories under the greenhouse gas protocol that, that that are covered by scope three emissions. The ones we probably should be most concerned with are upstream and downstream transportation and distribution. Yeah. Those are gonna be large footprints. We know the transportation sector is the biggest piece of emissions in the US today. It overtook the power sector a few years ago. So that's the big bullet, or not bullet, that's the big target on the back of uh, every logistics service provider today is how can you help me with my scope three? How can we reduce emissions here? And now I, I remember, uh, you know, in, in, in a lot of discussions, the year 2025 has been sort of a, a big, um, I guess, time frame for specifically scope three. So can you kind of walk us through where both shippers and carriers and really anyone in business should be really focusing on as we head, you know, down the road to 2025 and what that means? Definitely. Definitely. I would say historically, you probably could bifurcate the market into, you know, big shippers, publicly traded companies, and then kind of everybody else that right. fills in the gaps. Um, and those are not necessarily top heavy. There's a lot of small and medium enterprise shippers that keep freight moving across the country. So around 2025, SEC just came out and proposed some climate disclosure regulations earlier this year. They've gone through, they're in the middle of public comment right now, and they should be finalized soon. 
Um, and that's where you're getting that 2025 number. So they've proposed a couple of things, basically three categories. So if you're a publicly traded company that has to already be concerned about what you're filing and sharing with the SEC, they're just adding additional reporting around climate risks, around greenhouse gas emissions reporting, and around target setting for reducing those. So those three buckets. If you are a large enterprise, and I don't know the revenue number off the top of my head, but if you're a large enterprise, you've got to start reporting on scope one and scope two emissions reporting by 2023. If you're smaller, 2024. That's scope one and scope two. Scope three is a year later because it's just a beast because nobody has the data on hand because yeah. by definition, it's out of your control. So it's getting the data from your supply chain upstream and downstream is where the difficulty lies. Right. But 2025 is the number for scope three emissions for pretty much everybody. So I really, you know, every time I hear about scope three, it feels daunting. And I can only imagine what that's like with decision makers and stakeholders at these companies. What, it, you know, it's out of our control. What are some ways in which companies, people can start to take onus, take control of the categories that are in scope three, if that's even possible at this point? I think it is. It's it's really just a, a data access and exchange exercise and evaluating from there, what are my options? So a good example would be to think about a shipper that has their own private fleet. They're already dealing with their scope one emissions. And so they're evaluating those options, whether that's biofuels, electric vehicles, route optimization, load optimization, modal switching. There's lots of different ways you can reduce emissions. And I would point people to resources like EPA SmartWay has a great program that details a lot of those efforts you can undergo. Um, and there's a lot of other international programs too. Smart Freight Center is another one that I love engaging with on both measurement and actions. Um, so if you think about it in that frame where we have shippers that have scope one that they're dealing with, those same scope three are gonna be answering the question, how can I incent my carriers and my logistic service providers to make some of these same changes. And it often comes down to money and incentives and how do we figure that out? But before you even get there, I gotta know what your emissions are. So how can I incent without just taking out a big stick and saying, I'm gonna need you to give me more and more and more data uh, and then putting your back up against the wall because now you gotta figure out how to manage and distribute that data within your own organization. Right. Um, we really need to understand what you're trying to get. So that's step one is measure, 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 start with the highest level data you can get, work to improve it over time by getting uh, your fingers on more accurate data from your actual suppliers. Um, but if we're talking to a shipper specifically, look for resources internally. Like you've been fighting for years to just manage a transportation budget. This is outside of that historical okay. obligation for a, like a transportation department. You need to go to your corporate and say, look, we're, if we're going to manage beyond the budget, we're going to need more resources. And that could be third party. That could be somebody else that could be bringing someone from the sustainability department in-house to understand what you're going up against. But don't just sit there and scramble without getting started by asking for help internally or externally. Email so me. I can get you started. There you go. <laughs> That's a great point. Absolutely. You know, and, and we'll get there in a second. But I want to, you know, you mentioned SmartWay, and I think that's so important. Can we talk about the importance of SmartWay being a SmartWay certified partner? And then as well, uh, you know, on the shipper side, but then on the carrier side, why they should be consider why they should be considering becoming a SmartWay certified carrier? Absolutely. I consider it for large shippers a must have. If you're not willing to get over that low hurdle to just yeah. do the annual reporting on your fuel emissions as a carrier, are you really even looking at it at the end of the day? And we've grown that network. We've saved tons of emissions over the last 15 years or so that it's been in place. Um, but it's almost too low of a hurdle 
now for some of the targets that a lot of these shippers are trying to push. So I would say it's a starting starting place, it's table stakes. Um, And even within SmartWay, it's not just one to be certified. It's like, how do I improve my score? And then how do I go beyond that, right? That's the ambition people need to have. And how would you say, you know, for owner operators and folks that are just starting to get into the industry that may not have even considered what it means to be, you know, a part of a SmartWay certified carrier with a great score, Talk to us about how they should start thinking about that and how they can also get involved. And and also, are there other uh, programs like SmartWay that they can consider? If you're an owner-operator, being SmartWay certified is probably rarer than most people would think. And Mm -hmm. it means that as a small independent business owner that you're taking the initiative to separate yourself from the pack. So I would encourage people to do it, even if you don't have a great footprint or driving an old asset. Go ahead and do it because you still got to know where you stand and you can get certified no matter what. Um, but I would say that's a differentiator for them and what they should do, not just try to differentiate themselves based on we're carbon conscious, it's actually going to be a cost savings to you because the more efficient you become in your operations, your bottom line is going to be impacted positively. So take the time between loads at home. I know it's tough when you've been on the road and it's one more thing you got to do, but you can constantly educate yourself. Listen to a podcast on the road. I mean, there's opportunities for you to get smarter about improving the efficiency of your operation. Right. Um, and, and you should just always be trying to strive for that, have a growth mindset. You know, so let's talk about changes for sort of a better tomorrow and, and really what that looks like. You know, as we explore ways to really set a foundation for a mo- more eco-friendly future, investing in CSR strategies and platforms and sort of governance strategies that build stronger external stakeholder partnerships and things like that. What are some easy changes that can provide impact now? And what are some more strategic way changes over time that can really help uh, shippers and carriers that they may be overlooking? That's a great question. And probably the answer varies depending on whether you're a shipper or a carrier and how large you are and how resourced you are, right? I would yeah. say to, I don't wanna create four categories to answer here, but I would say if you don't have an internal resource dedicated to looking at your corporate social responsibility, like put one in place. If you're an owner operator or a large carrier or shipper, you need to have that done. Um, those are table stakes now. If you're large enough where you've got you know, ESG scoring you got to manage or you're a large you know, publicly traded carrier and you're getting hit with RFPs where you need to have an EcoVeda score, like you should have resources dedicated to understanding what you're being measured on Absolutely. and how to improve those. And then you got to have upper management buy-in to be able to say, hey, our business is being eroded because mm-hmm. we're not able to do this, this, and this. Let me work with this department, this department, this department to bring that to light and start having those conversations. So it's a focus on what are you being graded on and who controls the the purse strings to be able to impact change in that area. I don't know if I answered that effectively or not. But. No, you did. But that's such an important point, right? Because I think that as especially now as as companies and, and uh, you know, owner operators and individuals are starting to plan for their 2023 <laughs> budget, you know, maybe start to consider putting more dollars and in investment towards ESG and sustainability, right? Definitely. Even if it starts with getting budget for increased resources for data access, right? Yeah. There's There are third parties that are already measuring and it makes sense to me to try and curate a lot of this internally, especially if we're not at a point where your tech enables you to get down to like load level, SKU level emissions data where you're tracking it the whole way down. That That's a pipe dream, but I think we'll get there eventually. But I don't think at scale across anybody's supply chain today, we have that visibility into emissions. Yeah. Um, 
I would love to see that. So again, <laughs> if anyone has that in their back pocket, let's talk. Um, but yeah, it's important to set that stage and set that foundation of management and say, look, we need budget. We need to get a better handle. If you're going to ask me to manage and reduce this by 2025, right. I need budget to get a really good measurement of what we're doing today. And I need to allocate additional resources, start working with my suppliers and say, hey, what are you doing? How can we engage? Where can we work together? So you mentioned, um, you know, sort of the investment in EV, electric vehicles and so forth, which is becoming, I think, more and more of a hot topic as we, you know, we saw it kind of, I think, make its uh, make its headway in 2020. And now it's really starting to explode with with a lot of companies. As we talk about carriers, there are some that are beginning to shift from diesel to digital. Right. And so they're exploring those electric vehicles. Do you think that this is more of a buzzword in the industry or are you seeing that adoption sort of across the, the nationwide supply chain ecosystem? Great phrase, diesel to digital. I might steal that if Do you it. don't mind. It's, yours. it's not trademarked. <laughs> it's um, not. <laughs> no, it's very clear that interest is high. It's very clear that investment is high in this space. It's also supremely clear to me that this is not a 2025 solution at scale. Right. Supply chains take time, and we are actively investing in onshoring, battery manufacturing, assembling, recycling. It takes time to get additional raw raw minerals mined and put into batteries. Like if we want to do this at scale, it's a it's a seven to ten year operation. And and where I think you'll see it, and where you need to be strategic if you're thinking about deploying these assets, is if you can get your hands on one. That means you're working with either depot charging or regional operations because we don't have these everywhere. So think about where you can plug in a truck today that either fills at home or fills in a centralized depot and operates in a 200 mile radius and work with someone who can help you understand the incentives for putting these on the ground. So whether that's the IRA Act that just passed and has, you know, uh, tax breaks for electric vehicle purchases for class eight buyers up to $40,000, which is great. Yeah. You've got to understand the impacts of that and where you can plug it in. And can I stack that with a port incentive or some other government, you know, local regional municipality who is trying to get their, their local air quality cleaned up and has programs for you. So, well, I mean, you know, it, for me, it just makes sense for shippers to start investing in the charging stations at their own facilities. So that way, you know, not only are they providing that benefit to drivers on the road that are hauling their freight, but they're also taking advantage of the um, the incentives that would come into, is it scope three emissions? Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. See, I'm learning. I'm learning things from you. <laughs> yeah, and now you know I'm going to ask, right? So there's, we talk about EV and, and that being, a, you know, a long road ahead. Is the same, can the same be said for autonomous vehicles? Oh, I love autonomy. If you gave me a pile of money today that was unlimited, it would be building a hub and spoke network of convoy trailers following an electric vehicle recharging along the way. I just think that's such a cool solution. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that they'll develop in tandem. I can see clear synergies between those two technologies. And you know, mm -hmm. the OEMs are consciously investing in both at the same time. Yeah. I think autonomy has more of a from a macro standpoint, autonomous strategy makes a lot more sense to me on long haul open highway trips where you can take advantage of hours of service breaks and things like that for drivers. Um, I think we're still a way long way away from actually feeling comfortable as a public from having 80,000 pound loads running down with nobody at the wheel. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, th I think we'll get there. 
I think we'll get there, but it's going to take time. So yeah. um, I do think those are trying to tackle two different segments. You'll gain more efficiencies and reduce emissions just aerodynamically when you have longer pools. So if you can convoy a couple trailers together autonomously, that's awesome. Um, and then maybe you're handing it off at a depot and an EV is delivering it last mile. I don't know. That that seems to that. me like something more likely to happen. Yeah, that feels that feels more uh, more imaginable. But also it, it's kind of wild that we're talking about this today, right? Because I think like... 10 years ago, this wasn't even on our minds as we talked about the supply chain. We were literally just talking about adopting technology. So we've come exactly a long way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I want to give kind of an ESG FYI. There are smaller businesses that I don't want us to overlook, right? Namely, and, and you've definitely uh, honed in on them, but as we talk about owner operators and those smaller fleets, um, you know, we want to encourage them to really start thinking about how to be more sustainable operations, right? And we look at the facts here. They're about, I think to date, almost about 800,000 owner operators that haul about 70% of the nation's freight. So can we talk about the benefits to those smaller businesses that they might be overlooking today? Yes, we should, because remember talking about the most common occupation in America, right? Yeah. So everybody plays a role here. And it's easy to say ESG and automatically equate environmental impacts, right? Especially when we're talking about transportation, which is really emission intensive, because Let's face it, it's hard to move things long distances without a lot of energy, just the way it is. Exactly. So I, I would not, I would encourage them like I did before, be conscious and efficient where you can. But we know that their trade-off is in trying to keep the wheels turning yeah. and getting the most margin per load on average that they can get. And there's going to be empty miles and there's going to be times where they're going five over to try and you know get up that hill and make it to their next appointment. And we shouldn't um, expect someone in that position in the S of the ES and G to carry all the weight of the E. Right. So there, as in supply chain, ev everything is a trade-off in yeah. supply chains. And we, we have to try and balance the system in a way that's more equitable and more sustainable for everybody in the chain. And that's probably not going to look like forcing an owner operator to buy an EV. Like, economically it's just not going to be viable this is true you know and and the interesting thing is that it's already starting to happen in places like the port of long beach and los angeles with the clean fleet initiative as the state of california is pushing for you know this all zero emission vehicle fleet by 2025 so right in time for scope three but they're trying to counterbalance it with strong subsidies so that it helps drivers get into zero emissions vehicles but in the meantime what can they do without having to force owner operators to buy evs what can they do? They should focus on the S and the G, right? Make sure you're running efficiently. Make sure you are um, treating your employees and your drivers well, right? Setting up um, fair and equitable pay for your employees. If you've got people out on the road, take care of them. Make sure we're trying to eat healthy and stay healthy and stay in contact. And all the things that we would expect of an employer in 2022, like treat your employees that way communicate proactively, um, take care of your people. That to me is the number one thing we can tell a lot of these small owner operators. And then as we're working with enterprises that employ these small owner operators, yeah. that's where you can start to be creative and say, how can we funnel finance to creative climate solutions here that positively impact everybody there? So it's um, it's not a one person's gonna solve it. You know, it's easy to say, hey, take disposable, take a single use plastics out of the cab and give all your guys some bamboo forks and some healthy meals they can eat like that. I don't know that that's going to 
move the needle globally yeah. for a lot of our targets. But the easiest thing all of us can do is just draw a circle around yourself, change everything inside of it to be the most positive, helpful version possible, and then extend that to other people. And that message gets lost a lot when, you, when we talk about ESGs and scores and finance. Just be, do well and do good. Like that's that's the message for most people. You're exactly spot on. I think that the human element of ESG really gets overlooked quite a lot. And, you know, here at the company at Transfix, we've been talking a lot about this sort of better together approach, right? And, you know, we're thinking about both sides of the supply chain. And though, you know, we are digital freight brokerage, we're not just a broker. We, we want to be seen as a partner that kind of bridges the gap between these two entities. And, and, you know, given the lack of momentum with obviously the current market conditions, where we'd normally see a swing from spot to, to contract freight and, you know, and vice versa around this time, especially, I think they're being forced in, in a lot of ways to work more closely together so that both parties benefit down the road. So uh, I'd love us to leave on this note, but so from shippers to carriers, how can they both work together to be more sustainable, sustainability focused? Man, if you want to work together, you better have a good relationship. So start there. If yeah. you are constantly burning bridges and being shady in your business dealings on either side, it's going to be really hard to work together, period, let alone on any sustainability initiative. So if this is something that's important to you and you think it's going to impact your business, you are well suited to try and deepen ties with every supplier, both up and down. So customers and suppliers and say, look, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? How can I help you? That's that's the easiest way to answer that question is yeah. wake up and say, how can I help you? I, I, that was perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, Tyler, I'm, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for joining us on the call today or on the, well, we're, we're on a call, but on the podcast, um, you know, and obviously you're the host of Net Zero Carbon at, uh, at Freight Waves. Where else can we see you? How can people get in touch with you? I know you wanted people to, to sort of hit you up with some ideas. So let's hear it. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got any ideas or want to learn more, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, tcole at freightwaves.com is the email. We're putting out shows Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern each week, and we're tackling any sort of decarbonization initiative that I find interesting. So if you find what I find interesting, then love you to tune in or check us out on any you know streaming podcast network too. I appreciate the time. Nice absolutely. to meet you and, and great job on the podcast. I've enjoyed listening to all the episodes so far. Thank you. I'm so happy that you're here and, and I would love to have you back. So Tyler, I, you know, people are going to be very, I think, enthralled by this conversation and they've got a lot of work to do. So <laughs> we've set a good precedent. Love it. We'll do it together. There Thanks we go. Soon.